did the Jeopardy theme, but I did one note off key. <laughs> I would reach through this iPad and punch you in the face. I'm not a violent person. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is your mom writes books. <laughs> I'm Caitlin McFarland. And I am also Caitlin McFarland. Remember no. how earlier I said I have a joke for our next recording? That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just me and me. <laughs> and I am uh, Charlie Ann Holmberg. And today we're here to once again answer your questions, your writing questions, your publishing questions, and your questions about writers on social media, I guess. Yes, because that is a topic we have. I'm sorry, I've been watching a lot of uh, Parks and Rec, and now I'm just I'm just gonna talk like Pert happily. Okay, I support <laughs> you. I support you. I love Pert. <laughs> okay, I mean, should we just jump in? Jump on it! Jump on it! Jump on it! Jump on it! Number one question. Yes, wait. I just want everyone to know really quick. I asked Charlie, should I read the questions this time? And she said, no, I like to be in control. I do. And so but now Charlie I've... will be <laughs> Charlie will be all-time question reader. All-time question reader. Because I am an A-type personality. And yes, and I am not. Type A. Which means I got a better grade than Caitlin, who is a type B. <laughs> sure. Are you? Because there's only two types, so I assume you're a B. I, yes. B minus. Oh, thank you. I'm a B minus person. My personality is a B minus, you guys. Thank you for putting up with me on this podcast. <laughs> All right. So from Kim, how important do you think social media engagement is to the publishing process? What platforms and or types of engagement have helped you connect with your readers the most? I like how you looked at me on the uh, video chat that we have up because... I have no idea and I'm terrible at social media, so <laughs> I'm going to just allow you to handle all of these social media questions. So there you go. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, in today's day and age, it's pretty important. Can you get published without social media? Yes. Um, but if you do have notable engagement, it's really good. Because like, honestly, if you send a query to an agent or an editor, and it says, by the way, I have 100,000 social media followers on Instagram, that's definitely going to like perk their interest. Because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, that's 100,000 people who might buy her book. So it's yes. pretty, it's pretty important. It's not, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but it's definitely a deal maker. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good way to phrase it. It's definitely not a deal breaker. I did I have still have almost not, I, <laughs> I still don't have much of a social media presence. I have kind of a little bit of one. Uh, you've got way more of one, Charlie. I can name a few YouTubers who who have book deals and... Or there are social media people who were approached by publishers to make books because of their yes. social media presence. And we should specify, though, we are talking about fiction. If you're writing nonfiction, you absolutely need to have a platform. Oh, yeah. That's true. For nonfiction writers, platform is super important. They want you to already be an expert in your field who has a following. And then, you know, you write nonfiction, then those people will buy your book because you're an expert. Yeah, because so. the whole question is, why should you write the book on this topic and not somebody else? 
Yes. Yep. Yeah. So what platforms and or types of engagement have helped you connect with your readers the most? So you will notice that different social media platforms will have different age groups. So if you're on Facebook, that tends to be an older age group. If you're trying to target, you know, 40, 50, 60 year olds, Facebook is the place to be. If you want to target millennials, Instagram is the place to be. If you want to target Gen Z, you want to go to TikTok. So yeah, so depending on who you want to target, the majority of my readers tend to be 18 to 34 years old. And so Instagram is a really great place for me. Also, I just happen to like Instagram the most. So that's where I tend to be. Though recently I was running some Facebook ads and like 40% of the people clicking on them were over the age of 65. I thought that was really interesting. (laughs) So that's just got that kind of broad appeal, Charlie. There you go. So something about a Victorian woman behind bars in a photo just really gets our senior Mm -hmm. citizens going. (laughs) But yeah, so that's what I would do. I would do the one that makes you the happiest because like I said, like some people just don't like Facebook. Some people just don't like TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, you know? Yeah. But also go where your audience is. That's the best way to gauge it. Just to kind of highlight what you said, go to the place that you feel is most natural for you because that's where your engagement is going to be the most natural and genuine. And that's mm-hmm. something I think readers will pick up on. So. Yeah. And I will also just point out again that blogs are dead. I really think they only work for like cooking, <laughs> the people who post recipes. Okay. But that makes me so angry because I'm like, please stop telling me about your life. I just want to know how to make this food. I know, but they do that because that's how they monetize the blog. That's why you notice like every single cooking blogger always has the big long story. And like some Sometimes mm-hmm. there's some good tidbits in there, but the longer their blog post is, the more ads that can be fit into it. And so that's how oh they gosh. monetize. If they don't do that, they don't get money. And so I forgive it now. I don't forgive it. I just skip to the recipe. It's fine. Oh, yeah. As long as does. I will forgive it if they have a skip to recipe button, oh, then yes. I forgive them. Mm, true. <laughs> Along with that, Maggie asked also, how early is too early to start engaging social media as an author? I'm still writing my first book, but wonder if I should start building an audience now. So Caitlin and I were talking about this and she made a really good point that if you don't have a product to sell, it's kind of hard to like get followers. Mm. But I do think that getting a social media presence before you're published is important. I mean, I did that. Listen, like I'm published now. I've been published for six years and the highest engagement I have is on my Instagram and I have like 5,300 people, which is great, Mm -hmm. but I'm not like diving in the numbers because, you know, I'm a published author. Like it doesn't make that big of a difference. IMO. But so I think as soon as you can is great because you will find friendships. You will find people to follow, like even just following people, you can learn so much and find people who are in similar boats of you or like, you know, if you're funny or you're insightful or you have some kind of a sub brand that people can relate to, they will start following you. And the more followers you have when you have a book, especially if they engage with you, the better your book's going to do. Yeah. If you're not published, I think I wouldn't think of it at that time as building an audience. I think about it as kind of building a network because- Yeah, that was probably more of what I was doing back in 2013, 2014 was when Twitter was a thing (laughs) more was connecting with those other authors who were kind of at the same place as me. I don't know. Um, Yeah, because you you don't have a product to sell. So the best you can do is make a lot of really good friends. And those people that you kind of come up with, the ones who get published, then you guys can cross promote each other and help each other out. Yeah. So, And though I do want to also add in here that you should never treat your social media as a fan club because engagement is really important. Engagement means that you care and that the people who follow you care. 
I would much rather have a hundred followers who always comment and like the things I say than to have a thousand followers who just completely ignore me. Mm-hmm. But I went to a, an Instagram, social media Instagram advertising class once, and the person teaching it had about 22,000 followers. And I was like, whoa, and she had all these tips. And I hopped over to her Instagram And I would say at least 50% of her posts had no comments on them whatsoever. And then a few of them maybe had two or three comments and a handful of likes. And that was it. And I was like, how do you have 22,000 followers and nobody engages with you? You know, Mm -hmm. if you're not engaging with the people who are trying to engage with you, like, why would they waste their time on you? Yeah. So that's important. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. So those were our kind of social media oriented questions. And now we're going to talk about some questions that have to do with publishing and the publishing process. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Jill asks, how does the editing process work for fiction? I have a lot of students who are interested in learning more about it, but it can be hard to find a good description of how editors and authors work together. Okay. So this is... A good question. I actually like this question a lot. Editing, because this is something I I wondered too, and I think we've kind of touched on it, but we haven't, I don't know, talked about it at length maybe. When you sell your, so when, so this is kind of how it goes, right? You write your book, you make it as good as you can. If you want to traditionally publish and you have to send your book out to agents, and that is a process called querying, which we will talk about more later next week. yes next week yes are actually we're gonna do a whole episode about querying next week so you get an agent you land your agent your agent then may or may not go through more edits with you your agent has your book your agent is like okay this is great now it's good enough for me and we're gonna send it to editors and so they send it to a series of editors you've you know, that is a whole process in and of itself. But then you find, they find an editor who wants to buy your book. So that editor is like, great, I like your book. Now, here is a, here are the stages of editing. (laughs) First, you're going to go through what's called a developmental edit, which is the big picture stuff. They say, I think this character needs work. I think you, this part of your plot is boring. I think that your theme could use strengthening here. They say, you know, they do big, huge structural edits where you end up writing vast swaths of your book. Or rewriting the book in some cases. Oh, yeah. Or sometimes if it's like a second book and they already worked with you on the first one, they're like, pitch us a second one. And then you do. And then they read it and they're like, no, none of this. Rewrite it. (laughs) Yeah, that's happened to some of our friends. So then... You do your developmental edit. So that's the big sweeping changes where you end up possibly, you know, doing big rewrites. And then after that is good, they're like, okay, the structure of this book is good. Then they're going to go in and do what's called a line edit where they're editing the prose. They're editing They're editing on a sentence and like paragraph level. This is where they're editing for uh, continuity errors. They're editing for, as in, which I think, Charlie, you actually, we did talk about this once. Um, so your example was like, here you said the clock was on the left, but before you said it was on the right. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for those kind of small continuity errors. Hopefully they've already caught the larger ones. Rewrites will introduce errors. Every time you write or you edit, it's an, another opportunity to introduce errors into the book. So they try to get all those from all your rewrites. And then once you've done that, then you move on to, what is it? Copy, copy edits. edits and proofreading. Yep. And for me, I actually had copy edits and proofreading. Well, so for me, they called my line edit the copy edits. 
I don't know. But then you go on to copy edits and proofreading where they are deep. <laughs> They're doing deep grammar dives into your prose to make sure that you don't have any grammatical problems or typos or things like that. And they, the reason they wait so long to do that kind of stuff is because when you're doing those first two levels of edits, like I said, you can introduce errors. And so they want to make sure they catch all of those. Yeah. Yeah. And you go back and forth and... I mean, generally speaking, how long do you have to do each level of edits, Charlie? Would you say? Uh, with dev edits, my publisher always gives me about a month. Mm -hmm. And then with the other edits, I usually get like a week, maybe two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, they're faster. Yes. The last two are faster. And <laughs> But if you think about it with dev edits, <laughs> uh, depending on how much of your book you're rewriting, it can be a scarily small amount of time <laughs> yeah. to do those big edits compared to how much time you took to write the book in the first place. And you can go back and forth. So because, you know, the question is, how do editors and authors work together, really? So for me, I will say, like, don't be afraid of your editor. For me, there there were times when my editor would ask me for changes that so for example, in my books, there are, there are characters who die. I think I can say that without it being a massive spoiler. There are a couple of characters throughout the course of the trilogy who die. And one of them, my editor was like, oh, I don't think this person should die. And I was like, no, no, they need to die. <laughs> <laughs> and but in one case, uh, there was a character, another character who died, who I had written as dying. And they were like, no, I want this person to live. And I had to sit with that for a while and think about it. And I was like, oh, OK, yes. So that character did end up living. Which one so I originally it? killed well, I can't say because I no, think you're gonna that would be out. a spoiler. Just cut it out. <laughs> or bleep it out. Just tell me who it is. It was I was I killed oh, him yeah! off originally. Okay, mm -hmm. keep going. So you do go you do tend to go back and forth. And when you get to the prose edits, the line edits, there are sometimes and Charlie, I don't know if you wanna say anything about We're gonna talk about the ignore. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are sometimes when your your editor will be like sometimes editors change what you oh, say i know what you're saying yeah i've had times where where somebody's looking at something and this has happened before and after public being a published author mm -hmm. where sometimes people just go in and just change what the sentence is so instead of saying i walked to the store they change it to walking i went to the store like it's the exact same thing and yeah. so if your syntax is all the same, syntax being the sentence, the structure of your sentences, mm -hmm. that kind of edit totally makes sense. Like if you have a paragraph, six lines, all of them are structured the exact same way, making an edit like that makes perfect sense because it helps with flow. Right. But when you don't have that problem, sometimes people are just editing for the sake of editing. Right. Because to to their ear, it sounds better. So they're just messing with you, with your style of stuff, which like always gets under my skin. Yeah. I hate it when people mess with style instead of fixing things. Yeah. And I think never be afraid to push back with your editor, whether you're traditional or you're indie. Right. There's this great little acronym that you need to learn. It's called STET. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it stands for, but it basically means I saw this, but I'm not changing anything. Yeah. It's like, nope, leave it alone, STET. Yep. And I do want to add while we're on the subject that you don't want these edits to all be done by the same person. Like, oh, no. Yes. 
So you want different editors because just like you can read through your book so many times and you know what it's supposed to say that you just start glazing over errors. You just don't see them anymore. The same thing can happen with an editor. So you want a dev editor to be different from your copy editor to be different from your proofreader. Yeah. So usually the way that works in publishing is when authors talk about their editors, they're talking about their dev editors. Or their acquisitions editor. Yeah, their acquisitions editor who buys the book. And And I think... I don't know, Charlie, maybe you have more experiences than I do with this. They can often be the same person. I've had it both ways. I've had, because I've had, I've been orphaned twice, meaning that my editors have moved on mm-hmm. um, to another publishing house. So I've had my acquisitions editor be my dev editor. I've had my acquisitions editor kind of go halvesies with my dev editor. And I've had my acquisition editors not do any dev edits and let the dev editor yeah. take over. So Yeah, I had my, when I was with the, the Dragon Books with Karina, the acquisitions editor, the well, the editor who acquired the book, she, I think maybe worked with me on the first book, but not the second and third one. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, an editor, with the editor I feel like I worked with the most was my developmental editor. Because once you're doing, when you do copy edits and that kind of stuff, you're kind of just sending it off to somebody who works for the publisher that like you actually like I don't think I've ever actually known who my copy editors were they're just kind of like yeah I know who mine are just because my publisher will send me a style guide that has been made specifically for my book and the editor will always leave a little note in there for me okay I usually know who they are it's not always the same person yes yeah your copy editors will kind of go in and out because they're I think they're just kind of doing a lot more like reading of a you know I don't know what I'm trying to say. They're reading a lot of books where I think dev editors take deep dives into like, you know, fewer books. Is that, Mm -hmm. do you think that's right? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I wanted to really thoroughly cover that. So what do you think? Do you think that covered it, Charlie? Uh, Yeah, I think it did. Sweet. Okay. So we have a question from Kim and it Mm -hmm. says, do you read your reviews or do you prefer to create without other people's voices in your head like that? If you do, have you found any personal or professional benefit in doing so? I know we've touched on this briefly before in a previous episode, mm-hmm. but no, <laughs> I don't read my reviews. Sometimes if I'm feeling, you know, swanky, I'll go in and I will specifically click five-star reviews only and I will read those, mm-hmm. but I don't read my reviews. I think in general, because people think, oh, like go to the three-star reviews and you'll find good feedback. I think in general, it's it's bad. <laughs> Most of the people giving you feedback is bad or it's just super subjective and I don't think it's helpful at all. Well, I mean, here's the thing. For feedback, we go to our editors and we go to our specific beta readers. Mm-hmm. I do think if there's some, like some widely held opinion, you know, that readers have, we definitely are going to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be interesting. Whether or not it's helpful, I think, I think most authors find reading reviews more harmful than helpful. Mm-hmm. I actually did read all my reviews when I was getting them, like more frequently. And sometimes I'll still kind of go, take a little peek and just see what people are saying just to see if there is that kind of trend. But it does, it does, it can hurt, you know, it can hurt to read those, those reviews that aren't as positive when you did your best and you put your heart and soul into something and people are like, this is trash. Mm -hmm. I do kind of think that maybe, I think we talked about this in the spark episode. Maybe that could be a reason that I didn't want to write for such a long time was because those voices were in my head and it was only once I cleared them out and remembered how much I like stories and that what I want out of a story is 
freaking valid Mm -hmm. that I started really writing again. So I would say, I mean, do or don't read your reviews, but you can't write with other people's voices inside your head. Nisha asked about how often are books reread or edited before the final draft? Oh, we kind of already answered that. Well, we talked about, yeah, we talked about the editing process. So that's professionally. Do you, I don't know, Charlie, like, well, and we've talked before about how many times you versus me will reread a book and edit it before we even send it to our agent for the first step of that. So, I mean, for Charlie, it's like what generally like three times. So yeah, I write it and then I send it to my alpha readers without rereading it. Mm -hmm. Then they give me their feedback and I fix it. So that's a reread. And then my beta readers give me feedback and I'm supposed to read it through again. Sometimes I do. Do Sometimes I don't. I do my beta feedback. Then Marlene reads it. And then my editor reads it. And then my dev editor reads it. And then my copy editor reads it. And then my proofreader reads it. And then sometimes if I'm lucky, I get a cold reader. So that's Mm -hmm. nine right there. Yeah. Marlene's our agent, by the way. I don't know if we've ever said her name. Marlene. Marlene, Marlene, Marlene. <laughs> I hope she listens to this. I'm going to get that sound clip and make that her, uh, her when she calls me. Now you've thrown me off, Charlie. Next okay. question. Uh, oh, wait, no. Well, oh, I was just going to say, we all know that Caitlin goes over her books 50 million times. So plus then, you know, just add Charlie's nine. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Becca asks, I would love to hear about some more ways to get in touch with other same genre authors or conferences during COVID times. A lot of of COVID. A lot of conferences are virtual right now. Yeah, which is nice in that the fact that conferences you couldn't have gone to because of travel expenses you could attend now. Yes. So I know that here in Utah, locally, our LTUE, Life of the Universe and Everything Geek Conference was just virtual. Last year, uh, Storymakers was virtual. I, they are still up in the air as to whether or not they're going to be virtual this year. I believe they have – do they have unlimited attendance for virtual people, though? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's unlimited so, for virtual. Yeah. So if you are interested in a conference that has impacted both Charlie and I pretty positively, Storymakers, what's their website? Storymakersconference.com. Storymakersconference.com. They are a really good for definitely uh, beginning intermediate, and they are offering more advanced classes lately. So mm-hmm. really it's a great. really good craft. craft cl- yeah. Yes. Craft-based conference. And some of my favorite classes over the last few years have been they always try to get a few experts to come in and talk about um, specific things that will help you write a book. So they have a police officer come in and talk about, you know, police things. And they had a guy. They had a guy do a whole class on poisons, and that I really liked. That was probably two years ago, because yeah, two years ago, because I was actually two or three years ago. And I actually taught a class on textiles and fabrics and the history of clothing. So yeah. So also, depending on what genre you write in, there are magazines Ooh, yes. that will come out. So if you subscribe to Writers Digest, they're going to have conferences in there. I mm-hmm. know that the Romance Writers Report, which is RWA's magazine, will always have conferences in the back of their magazine. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of them are going to be virtual right now. Yeah. And for places that you can meet other writers, I would say definitely um, refer back to our Critique Partner episode because we talk a lot about online spaces where writers can meet each other in that episode. Charlie has a tissue up her nose right now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Dawn wants to know how many copies do they have to sell for a book to be profitable? 
So this is kind of an open-ended question. I would first say go listen to our second episode, which is about making money mm-hmm. in publishing, because in part, it depends on how much your advance is. So if a publisher pays out like a $50,000 advance and your book makes $20,000, that book wasn't profitable. But if they gave you a $10,000 advance and your book made $10,000, $20,000, then it is profitable. Right. Well, and you have to add on to, it's not just advances, you have to add on actual cost of production of a physical book, you have to add on the cost of what they pay their editors, all of those editors we've just been talking about, and the cost of distribution and storage and all of those things. So it super depends, but this is also why you find so many digital first publishers these days, because those upfront costs are fractional compared to traditional publishers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it depends on the cost. So there are authors who we call mid-listers who Mm. kind of sit right in the middle of publishing because we hear about all the the big crazy unicorns, right? Like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and, and those big, big selling authors. And then most of us don't hear as much about the small press people, mm-hmm. but that we have mid-listers who sell right in the middle. And I would say that they are always profitable enough. Yeah. So if you want a rule of thumb, I would say three to 7,000 copies. Yes, that's a, that's a pretty good solid number for print books. That's the mid-list range, yeah. Yeah, the mid-list range. Ebooks, gosh, I don't even have a clue. As long as if you are self-published, then as many books as it takes to make back what you spent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it all comes down to the same thing. How, yeah. How much did you spend on the book? Yeah. So, yeah. So Kathy asks why ebooks can cost as much as the print books. Because uh, publishers like money. <laughs> yeah. So ebooks were like a big thing. When did ebooks come out? Like 10, 15 years ago when ebooks first started surfacing. And most publishers hate change. They really push back against change. And ebooks was a change that they pushed back against. A lot of them would not do ebooks for a long time until I think Amazon started going crazy with ebooks and then publishers realized that they had to keep up. Mm-hmm. So ebooks being as much as a print book is essentially just publishers still pushing back against changing times. They still yeah. want the exact same amount of money as on a print book. And so they refuse to price their ebooks cheaper, even though they don't cost as much to make. Well, yeah. And once again, the cost of an ebook is fractional. They're not paying, t- you know, bailed trucks to ship books across the country. They're not paying warehouses to store the books. They're not paying, you know, for paper and ink and whatever to print the books and printers to print the books. So, you know. Yeah, or maybe they're trying to use the the ebook profits to pay for the print. You know what, Charlie? That is actually probably a very valid point. Yeah. More and more people are going to ebook. Yeah, it's true. So I think that covers the publishing questions we got. And now we're going to move into this part of the podcast where we are going to talk about actual writing, writing of books. I'm ready. Yes, we are. Let's go. Becca asks, what is pantsing? Because we talked about pantsing and we didn't really say what it was. Sorry, Becca. (laughs) Go for it, Charlie. So pantsing is when you see somebody at the gym wearing an elastic waistband. No, stop. Okay, I'll (laughs) define it. Uh, Pantsing is – so to pants is to write by the seat of your pants, which is mostly – it mostly just means to write without a thorough outline. Yeah. You're a, mm-hmm. you're not an outliner. You're a pantser. You're somebody who writes by the seat of your pants. You write without planning ahead. Yep, which is the worst way to write. Charlie, you judge her. <laughs> okay, Justin asks, how do you figure out what to write about? 
So first I would say go listen to our Spark episode. Yes. And you may have listened to it by the time you get here. Yes. At the time of recording, that episode has not been released. But by the time – I think it's – is it was it our last episode that we did just before this one? Maybe. I think so. So now, you know, hopefully you guys have, have learned a lot more about our ideas and where they come from and – and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you really just have to write about what makes you excited. Mm-hmm. The other, so there's kind of two schools of thought here. You write about what makes you excited or you write to market. Mm-hmm. And so when you write to market, you write about what's popular because your end goal is to make money. When you're writing what you love, you're just writing what makes you excited, what gives you the spark. Yeah. So writing to market is valid. I don't do it. But it is a very valid way to go about writing. The thing is, I would not recommend writing to market if you do not have in place a way to get that book out before the market changes. Yes. So if you want to be a traditionally published author and you do not have an agent and you do not have an editor, especially if you have not debuted yet, I would not write to market because by the time you start that book, if everything falls into place for you, that book might come out in three years and the market trend's probably going to be over by then. Mm-hmm. The most, I would say, probably the most effective example of writing to market is like check out with these savvy women who are writing romance or doing uh, like who are self publishing romance on Amazon. They can write a book and have it out in like a few months. Yeah, have it fast. fully. Yeah, they're so fast. And so, and and these people are are very impressive. (laughs) I can't, Mm -hmm. like, it's not, yeah, I can't unfortunately do that, but I would, you guys, I fully would do that if I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have the ability to write quickly. They have the savviness to know how to get that book up and how to get that book marketed. And they just have everything in place to get that book up before the market trend changes and they make bank off of it. Yeah, they do. But for the rest of us, Yeah, you just have to write about what makes you excited. But uh, and I hope that the Spark episode gave you some more specific ideas, Justin. Um, Justin is a friend of mine that I have known for a really long time. Oh. Yeah. So listen, I'm the story makers. I am teaching a class on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Justin, you might you might enjoy story makers actually. Yeah. Sarah asks, "What do you do when the words don't come? What can reignite the writing fervor?" So again, refer to our Spark episode. Yes, we might have already answered this if you listen to our Spark episode. Yeah, it depends on why the words don't come. Mm. Um, I think writing block generally happens for two reasons. It happens because you are A, no longer interested in your story, or B, you are dealing with mental health issues. Yep, the burnout. So if it's A, you need to figure out what you need to do and change in your story to make it exciting for you again. Because rule of thumb, if you're not excited about your book, a reader is not going to be excited about your book either. Mm. So change your story. Work on a different story for a while if you have to. But I generally say change your story, put something exciting in there that you know, gets your panties twisted and go for it. If it's a mental a health PG thing, podcast, Charlie. Okay. Well, PG people wear panties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, listen, my daughter's PG and she does, but I'm like, she's really not. My daughter is PG 13 somehow. <laughs> Six and yet still PG 13. She just turned seven. Oh yeah, that's right. Take that, Caitlin, and your false information. (laughs) Okay. It's fine. She still acts like she's four. So the other one, if it is a mental health issue, which again, we did talk about in our Spark episode, Mm -hmm. um, you have to address the mental health issue before you can do anything else. It's okay to take a break. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be 
a specific like diagnosable mental health issue, it can mm-hmm. be burnout, it can be exhaustion, and it can be stress. And we, I, yeah, I talked about that a lot in the last episode. So yeah, just take a yeah. break and um, be kind to yourself. Yeah, go to the last twenty minutes of our Spark episode, and you'll you'll hear both of our stories about this. Yeah, Kaylee asks, can you talk about how you write good antagonists, plot twists, and plot for a series versus a standalone novel? Oh, Kaylee, we're gonna do a whole episode about your question. Yeah, we're gonna do is, a whole episode. There, there's so many, there's so many bits in this to unpack that this would be a whole episode. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, so we're gonna do it. Maybe after the query one. Maybe. Maybe. No promises. Yeah. No promises. We <laughs> we are <laughs> I don't even know. We literally most of the time, like the fact that we know we're doing queries next week is is like a phenomenon because literally ten minutes before we start this, we're like, oh, what do you feel like talking about today? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay. And for our last question from Michelle. If you could tell your past self when you were starting some advice, what would that be? Oh boy. Well, self, don't get pregnant at 21. <laughs> Just kidding, you guys. Um, let's Really, see. though, I have such a hard time writing when I'm knocked up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my brain shuts down. Yeah, no, I'm actually glad, though, because now I've had all of my kids and I was done at 27. So that, that was for me. It's not for everybody. It was for me. <laughs> uh, but writing advice, oh, geez. Gosh, girl, you're... This road is so much longer than you think it's going to be. But I actually wouldn't tell myself that because Mm -hmm. then past me would be like, and just like throw our hands in the air and give up. Um, (laughs) So let me first start by, this is what I usually tell people who want to write a book. I tell them, get a daily word count and hold yourself to that daily word count. Even if it's just 500 words a day, you can get a full novel done in six months. That's two books a year. And that's a professional pace because a lot of people don't finish books. A lot of people who want to be authors never finish their books. And so that's the number one most important thing is finish your book. Stop attacking me, Charlie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The other one is you have to allow yourself to suck. And this is something I'm still trying to get Caitlin to understand. (laughs) I said, stop attacking me. (laughs) No, I will attack. Attack. Um, You have to let yourself be bad. Like if you keep going back to edit the last sentence you wrote, last paragraph you wrote, and you just keep going back and back, you're not going to finish your book and you're just going to be unhappy. So just write, write and plow forward. Yes, I will attest to this. I have always tried to just not suck and it's just not possible. Your first draft sucks. sucks. So bad. Thank you. I mean, your draft, your draft sucks. (laughs) Thank you. I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you are. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't really given my actual old self any advice because I really like this question, but then I proceeded to not know the answer. <laughs> Past Caitlin, keep writing. I don't know. Well, I mean, it could be that like when you were writing, you were you were doing it. You didn't need help, you know? Like I didn't yeah. I I mean, being told as a teenager about word counts and stuff really did help me. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I got over that, like, I feel like I was doing everything right. I mean, I got here, right? Yeah. That sounds stuck up. No. Sorry, guys. Because, well, that's kind of what, like, I, my, my process or my experience, my journey or whatever is mine and it worked for me. And so I don't know that I would change how I did it or how I learned. Yeah. I might tell myself, like, calm down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
actually, you know what my past self probably needed to hear the most? What? <laughs> You're on the right track. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did the things, the things that we tell you guys to do. I mean, I started writing and then I was like, I don't know how to do this. And so I went and studied the craft of writing. And then I went and found out how to get an agent. And then I went and, you know, like I kind of like was researching that. And at the same time, learning how to make writing friends who would help me on my journey. I got a critique group. I did all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, that that self-doubt, it never really goes away. And you always have imposter yeah. syndrome. Mm-hmm. So old self, you're on the right track. Keep going. Yeah. And other other baby authors. If you if you are listening to this podcast, you are on the right track. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, I like that question though. That was a good one. Yeah. Well, those are our questions for this. You could week. say that they will quest on with their questions. No. <laughs> no. Yes, that's the best one I've had so far. <laughs> oh, I appreciate your puns, Charlie. <laughs> Even uh, I will say, Charlie is not nearly the pun master that her husband is. So no. he's the only reason I even try. Uh-huh. We'll have to get some of his sometime. Oh man! Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you that there was something helpful for you here in this podcast. And if you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. We update every Tuesday, and we take questions like these at yourmomwritesbooks at gmail Yes, and I'm Caitlin McFarland, the author of the Dragonsworn trilogy, which you can only find in ebook form, unless you find it used. <laughs> I'm Caitlin McFarland, and let me introduce myself by selling myself short. <laughs> You've already been Caitlin McFarland one time this podcast, Charlie. Yeah, but now I'm just making fun of you. Oh, good. Because okay. it's so easy. Yes. Uh, you can find me online at Words and Geekery on Instagram. <laughs> And Etsy, if you want to go to my Etsy shop, because you like dice bags. And where else am I? Oh, Caitlin McFarland. <laughs> Caitlin H. McFarland. <laughs> Shut up, Charlie. <laughs> Why? Oh, my gosh. Why is this hard? <laughs> Caitlin H. McFarland, author at Facebook.com. Yeah. That's not the website. Caitlin H. McFarland, author. You can also author. find her at OnlyFans. <laughs> No, you can't. Maybe someday. <laughs> oh um, <my> God. <laughs> um, yep. So Caitlin H. McFarland on Facebook and CaitlinMcFarland.com. I am Charlie N. Holmberg, and you can find me at CharlieNHolmberg.com and also on Twitter, Facebook, and especially Instagram at CN Holmberg. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to get weekly updates you can follow us on instagram at your mom writes books and on facebook and your mom writes books i just posted a text exchange i had with christy of loose leaf editing where she corrected me on a previous episode where i said the military alphabet wrong <laughs> yes so if Christy's... you want to see what we do wrong go follow yeah. us and if you want to follow Christy at Loose Leaf Editing, she is amazing. She's edited for Charlie. She does all of our graphics and things for this podcast. We should have probably mentioned her before, long ago. Yeah, uh, Christy did uh, the graphics for this podcast. She's the one that made us look nice. Uh, she's <laughs> the one who designed almost all of my bookmarks, and she keeps my website going. If there's something you don't like on my website, please email Christy. <laughs> <laughs> you went the wrong way with it, Charlie. <laughs> 
No, she's great. She's edited for me. She's edited for uh, Brian McClellan. She's done formatting for Brandon Sanderson. So she is hot stuff. Yeah, we love Christy. You're great, Christy. We love you, Christy. (laughs) Christy works out. Okay. All right. That's enough. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for making us feel like this podcast has a point instead of just me and Charlie talking to each other. You're great. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. We love you. Okay. Goodbye, you guys. Bye.